I'm Hank Stoltz, and this is the Clear Path Financial Partners podcast, and the president of Clear Path Financial Partners, Ryan Kittredge, here with us, also a financial advisor. And Ryan, today we, we really want to just talk about some of probably what are the, the most commonly asked questions. People are getting near retirement age, and unfortunately, the closer that you get, the more that you, in this day and age, seem to have your eyes pop open at about 2 or 3 in the morning and go, Oh, man, I have got a lot of questions, and I'm getting a little bit nervous. And retirement, all of a sudden, it seems so far away for your whole life. Mm-hmm. You really, It really is just right there, right around the, the, the corner. And so it's always hard for us, I, I think, as, as people, Ryan, to start to make these transitions. And it's because of the unknown or because we, we're wondering if we have all the, all the facts to make the decisions. And that, of course, is where ClearPath is. And you as a financial advisor come in, you can help put people's minds at ease because they can ask you these questions. Absolutely. That's one of the most common situations we deal with and really our focus um, in terms of most of our clients. Our average age client is 60 years old and they tend to be within five to seven years of that kind of retirement age. So either they've already transitioned to retirement, we've been working with them for some time, or they're approaching it and they have all these questions about, well, what do I need to do to get ready? And that's sort of the kind of big overarching question. But then a lot of things come out of that. They, like, where do I draw income from? How does my tax situation change in retirement? When do I claim social security or a pension? You know, so different questions like that are pretty cool. Yeah, and I, I know that's gotta be such a, a big one as, as you get closer, how am I gonna replace that? That income, all these things that, again, we probably, some some people are, are so very well prepared and people who have been with, with ClearPath, I think, you know, very well prepared because you've been helping them all uh, all along and others there, you know, really have these, these questions and they start to intensify. Let's start before we get to the how you replace the income expenses. I can remember, you know, growing up as my dad got near retirement, one of the things that he always said was, yes, but you know, the house will be paid off and here's what the income streams was. He had a, uh, you know, he had a pension from the from the government that was part of, of, of his income stream. And so you have your expenses in retirement. These expenses though can be a little bit different than what we might have when we're in our 30s, 40s or 50s. Absolutely. They are. And a lot of the things stay the same. So I think really the first step is just assessing what your current expenses are. And it's something that most people, frankly, don't have an awareness of. And so we, but it's a critical component. So you really kind of need to nail that down. And I don't mean down to the dollar with a budget and categorized. Now, some people do that and that's great. And that can help them you know, prioritize. And if they need to trim expenses, you know, they can identify the, the, the areas where they might be able to cut back. But really, it's just what are your expenses? And the easiest way really to figure that out is to see what your net paycheck is after all of your deductions. So after you know, health insurance deduction through work and a retirement plan and taxes, and then basically what's left over at the end and then if you save systematically, so some people will say, well, I, you know, I save a thousand dollars a month of, you know, of my, you know, what I get into my checking account for my paycheck. So you take that out of the equation, but pretty much everything else that is remaining is basically what you're living on. And so that's a great starting point. 
And then we really look a little bit further and just to see if there's a trend with savings balances, are they increasing or declining? Because some people will say, well, I, you know, I save $2,000 a month basically after, uh, you know, my payroll deductions. And I say, great. Like how long have you been doing that for? And they say, well, we've been doing that for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, wonderful. How much is in your savings? And they're like, oh, about 15,000. I'm like, oh, well, something about the math doesn't add up. <laughs> right. And I'm like, well, do you save into it? And then do you use it? And they're like, oh yeah, no, we, we save, but then we use it for vacations and Christmas presents. And ultimately that ends up being part of your expenses as well. So you really have to just get realistic about that. And I think that's the first part and it's not very sexy, but it's, it's critical. And it's one of the key levers in retirement planning to know what you what that burn rate is on a monthly basis on average makes a lot of sense if if you've been living a lifestyle where you spend x number of dollars a year on vacations or going fishing or whatever your your hobby may be well you know if you're a collector of of something uh but you've been working you know uh 48 weeks out of the out of the year so you're able to go to like one vacation if you suddenly think that you're going to travel the world every year after you retired you're going to have to have saved for that definitely yeah and the kind of the old adage is that you retire and then your expenses decrease in retirement sort of that kind of traditional you know on the rocking chair on the porch mm, and mm. kind of take it easy and your expenses decline you know, by 20, 30% immediately. That can be true for some people. And, and some people are tend to be more homebodies and they want to do work around the yard. But actually, even for those folks, they might say, well, I, you know, I want a new tractor because I do all this work on my right. property. And so you have to, you have to think about that. But what we notice is especially those folks that have been preparing by paying down debt and increasing their savings and trying to beef up their, savings and retirement portfolio, oftentimes they're actually spending more in those early years because mm. now they have all this extra time back mm. and they do end up doing more traveling or focusing more on hobbies and leisure and eating out and things like that. Yeah. So you, it, it really is individualized for sure. Ryan, how, how many people when they hit retirement downsize so much of our wealth seems to be in our our homes and our property today and you you retire and the the kids have gone off and they've got family of their own and you suddenly say geez you know that the house that we've had for 40 years it's appreciated in value but i don't need the big house or the big lawn uh right. perhaps i you know i can maybe do with with something a little bit a little bit smaller and then you you would be able to, to take some of that of course and put it towards your retirement is, is that mm -hmm. something that is common do a lot of people downsize yeah i would say it's reasonably common um, typically not right when they're retiring and we wouldn't usually advise someone to make multiple major life decisions all in a short period of time so if you have big life circumstance changes and retirement is certainly one of them or leaving your longtime career, even if you plan to do maybe something mm. else part-time or some consulting or whatever, leaving that's a big decision. So to then go and then move and have that, um, maybe you have more time for that, but uh, you know, these days it's very challenging because of the lack of inventory out there. And even for clients that have paid down or paid off their mortgage, there's just not a lot of great options and they tend to find that, well, even the ones that they were considering downsizing to aren't that much of a, a decrease in cost, especially when they consider 
the cost of selling a home when you take into account agent commissions and real attorney fees and moving expenses. And then people like to think that they're just going to bring everything into their new home, but they usually end up blinds. Like it's amazing right. how costly blinds <laughs> Anything are, is, yeah, new yeah, carpeting. Yeah. So you have to build that into the equation as well. So that can be an option or as always sort of in the back pocket, it can be something that if you choose to later as clients in retirement are aging and then want to have less maintenance or less yard work to contend with. They don't want to do the shoveling anymore. Uh, maybe they do eventually look to downsize or if they really want to stay in their home, but they're concerned that later in retirement that they could run low on funds, especially if they live a long, healthy retirement, it, at least that equity in the home, like you said, is accessible through various means to you know, take an equity draw at some point if you're not end up selling the house. But that is one, right. one option for sure. And certainly health is such a big part of the, the equation as we do live longer, which does lead us to insurance and health insurance and expenses there and what we're going to, to need to know. And I'm sure a lot of people come and talk to you about exactly that. And you talk to them about, well, here's one of the things to consider as you head towards retirement, health insurance. Indeed. Yeah. That's one of the biggest questions as well, because whether they work a state position, they have GIC health insurance, they're a, say a teacher or a firefighter, or they work for a private company and they have a group health plan. They've gotten accustomed to that. And especially if it's a larger employer or a state job, then the health insurance is highly subsidized. So oftentimes people find that going into retirement, especially if they're retiring, quote unquote, early in their pre-Medicare age 65, then you do need to evaluate what health insurance continuation would be. You, you have a time period through COBRA where you can continue your group health plan, but bear the full cost of that. Um, but it's important to know what that looks like because a lot of employers may cover three quarters or so of the cost of the plan, and they would be bearing that fully. So you need to look at that versus private options, like say through the health connector. And that can be very expensive. That can be a big hurdle to retiring early if all of a sudden a, a married couple goes from paying out of pocket, say $300 a month is their portion of the health plan, but now they need to bear the full cost and they're paying $1,500 a month. Ugh. It's a huge drag on cash flow. And then even if they are age 65, then it's evaluating Medicare supplement or Medigap plans. And so we have rules of thumb that we use, but it, it certainly is dependent upon people's own healthcare needs. If they have certain conditions, there are providers that they like to see, then you need to make sure that you're, you're finding a plan that still allows you to stay in that network, so to speak. Yeah, Ryan, how about life insurance? Of course, you know, as as we're younger, we want to make sure if the unthinkable happens that our, our spouses are taken care of, our, our kids are taken care of, but now we're heading into retirement and we're still play, paying those those premiums and they can start to, to be more expensive. Do we, mm -hmm. do we reevaluate life insurance? You absolutely should reevaluate life insurance. And, and there's no hard set rule. I mean, there are kind of, on average, this is the case kind of things, but it's so individualized. But in general, I would say that most people after retirement don't need perhaps any or usually as much life insurance as they once had, if they need any at all, because typically 
life insurance is really there to replace income or pay off debts for other family if they're gone, right? If they're not in the picture any longer, they wanna make sure that their paycheck is replaced. Once you're retired, you're not earning income anymore, kind of by the definition of retirement, but for those that are, for instance, protecting a pension, or if they have other certain, say, trust distributions, or they have certain annuity that they may have that's paying them income, but only as long as they live, but they wanna make sure that there's something there for their spouse, then life insurance can still be important. But you really need to know what the costs are. Literally just yesterday, I was uh, meeting with clients and they said, oh yeah, no, we have these life insurance policies and we, we believe that they stay the same cost forever. And I said, well, how much is it? Oh, well, we each have 500,000. We pay about 90 bucks a month cumulatively. I'm like, eh, we should check that because it's probably going to go up. And then they just sent me an email and they said, oh yeah, it goes up in 20, February of 2025 from you know about a thousand bucks a year to like fourteen thousand a year, Ooh. so it's a huge jump. Yeah. And so you do need to evaluate that. You don't want to just drop it as sort of a knee jerk reaction, but it tends to be an expense that for many retirees they can cut out of their budget. Although again, you want to make sure that any of those income streams you have aren't going to be gone, but needed for your spouse or your family, other dependents. Um, if if you're no longer there, I would so. think that's why people want to have that that discussion with you because we've been paying it for for so long. We just kind of go, okay, I've got to I've got to keep going, mm-hmm. and and it's good to be able to to talk to to Ryan Kittridge, financial advisor, president at ClearPath Financial Partners, and thank you for joining us on this episode of a ClearPath Financial Partners a podcast. And let's get to that to that big one now about. You've been working your whole life, and now you're going to stop working, and that paycheck is going to stop coming in every week, and that can that can really be be scary. How do we replace that income in retirement? Uh, that that's a big one, right? Where where am I going to get a paycheck from? How am I going to have monthly income come in? Now, for most people, Social Security is still a foundational portion of that. But kind of the old three-legged stool of retirement that I've heard clients describe where it was, okay, if you've got your Social Security, you've got a private pension, and then you've got your savings, and you sort of you, you draw on that a little bit to supplement the Social Security and pension. Now, there are people that have both, but most folks, unless they worked for a company, I mean, there are some locally that have great pension plans, but most have sort of reduced them or gone away for the younger generation. But for those fortunate enough to retire and still have paid into Social Security and have a private pension, you may find that you're in a fortunate position where most of what you'll need is actually already going to be coming in. But there's typically a gap. And for for folks that just have, say, a state pension or only have Social Security, it tends to be, especially for higher income earners, a disproportionately small percentage of what they're going to need each month. So you need to figure out where you're sourcing the rest from, of course. And it can be savings. It can be retirement plans like a 401k or IRA. And the sort of the balance of those in the balances relative to how much they'll need will determine what that correct income replacement plan is. And our 401ks, of course, tied to 
the market. I have a, a lot of friends who uh, right now, this is when they're, this is exactly the kinds of questions that this they are asking. This is exactly what they are, are going through. And my own anecdotal evidence is that sometimes I, I sit down with them and they go, oh man, things are going great. And look at what's in my 401k. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm going to, maybe I'm going to uh, leave the job a little bit earlier. And then, you know, there is a, a market downturn and you, you, you're out with them and they go, oh man, I'm going to be working forever. I can't, I'm never going to be able to afford to, to, to retire. So the, the, the market and what the market is doing pays a big part in our, plays a big part in our lives these days. It does, uh, unfortunately, um, or fortunately, I guess, when things are going things well. Are going but, well. Um, here we are at the, the last headline I read is, you know, the, the S&P is in correction territory. and So you know, if you're retiring tomorrow, it's like, yikes. Yeah, it can be really uh, a bit stressful. As one client put it, who retired and then shortly thereafter, this was late in 2021, so just a couple of years ago, which is basically the peak of mm. most asset classes from U.S., international stocks, bonds, commercial real estate that kind of topped out two years ago. And they've been kind of on a rocky, bumpy path since with mostly downward, you know, mostly down or modestly up. And, you know, he described it as mental gymnastics to, you know, retire into a volatile market when what you thought you had may not may not be there any longer. But that's really ties into something, you know, that's very important is the asset allocation or just what type of investment mix do you have? And yeah, the markets and, you know, that can entail a lot of different things, but it typically is the stock market and or the bond market. But we find for retirees that you, or those even approaching, you really need to have more conservative sleeves or kind of a war chest of safe asset classes, things like cash, CDs, short-term government bonds, other fixed accounts through 401k plans, fixed annuities, things like that, that don't have any correlation to the broader markets. And at least today, with the silver lining of interest rates going so much higher is that you can get paid a very good return with these safe vehicles today. So there's really no reason to not have adequate reserves so that you can get through a few year period, which is very typical every market cycle that you're going to have a you know a year or two that's down and then it can take another year or two to recover and you want to make sure that you have resources available that aren't going to be diving in value and you needing to liquidate them at these lower prices so you, you just want to anticipate that and have the right mix so Ryan when you're talking to your your clients and I'm sure most of them have a, a company 401k or they've or they've, they've set up their their Roth uh, you know 401k but a lot of people do it through the through the company and you know it's going to come to an end or they'll you know they'll roll it over into something else that day that they they retire and and leave the company everything that you were just talking about when do you sort of start to talk to people about making that transition hey it can't just be that company 401k yeah so 401ks are a great i mean they are the the primary retirement plan vehicle for americans for the last you know, several decades and probably will continue to be. Um, And it really, they're very plan specific. So each plan varies pretty widely in terms of the investment choices, the flexibilities for anything from taking withdrawals to doing Roth conversions or having different asset allocations for different 
parts of the plan based on tax status. There are all these rules, but generally speaking, 401k plans are excellent accumulation vehicles because you're able to save, you know, what they call dollar cost averaging, basically putting in a steady amount periodically into the markets and it in volatility actually works in your favor because when things are down, you're accumulating more shares of the same investments that presumably will come back in value at some point. So the 401ks are very helpful in that regard, but they can be a little bit clunky or restrictive on the withdrawal end. So for those that have investment choices that are short-term government bonds or government money market or stable value or fixed accounts, those can be a good sleeve for that safe money. But some plans are, are pretty limited in those offerings. So you want to look at your plan rules, plan provisions, and then there are many benefits for an IRA in terms of the flexibility and choices that you have, especially on the other side. So while you're working, you you use the 401k. Afterwards, there may be some other options to consider. Ryan, what are some of the, the tax considerations that people should have? Yeah, taxes are a huge one. And, you know, when you think about cost in retirement, um, you know, if I ask somebody, you know, what, what are the biggest costs in retirement? Oftentimes they'll say, well, it's, it's healthcare or it's housing. Um, and those are not untrue, but for most, the biggest cost is actually still taxes. Now for many, you'll be at a lower tax bracket, perhaps like maybe you were, uh, while you were working, maybe you were in a middle bracket, say the 24% marginal federal tax bracket, and then you retire and with what you need, you maybe are only in the 12%. So for some being able to, to withdraw their 401k money, let's say at a lower tax rate than what they took as a deduction going in is a great um, advantage. However, you really need to be considering the tax brackets. And if you're bumping up against certain thresholds, and that's where having the right mix of pre-tax money like 401ks or traditional IRAs, but balancing them out with after-tax dollars or tax-free dollars, things like Roth IRAs or municipal bonds, that really is an advantage because you can control the tax situation. And the goal, I mean, for, for most, I'd say, well, I want to pay as little as taxes as I need to, right? I'm not trying to avoid the Uncle Sam, but I don't want to tip them either, right? Don't tip the government. Um, we want to pay what's our fair share. Well, you have control over that to an extent. Of course, there are many rules in place, but you can work within them and find a tax efficient retirement income plan that not really is only focused on minimizing taxes in one particular year, but making sure that you remain in a relatively low tax bracket throughout your retirement years. And that's going to do a lot to keep more of what you have. And then if legacy goals are important or just if you haven't used your resources and you die one day and you still have account values that most people would want, whether they have children or not, they would typically have people or say charities that they would rather the money go to than just more in taxes to the government. So you, you can manage that. Do people talk to you about if they should actively be trying to get into that lower tax bracket? 
They do. And some people, that's a goal. Um, I think for most people that they'd rather be in a lower tax bracket than in a higher <laughs> one. Although for some people, it may not be feasible, especially if they have taxable income, let's say through dividends and interest, or they start collecting a pension right when they retire. There are some clients that say, hey, you're, you're never going to be in the 10 or 12% bracket. you know." But our goal is to manage in the middle tax bracket so that you don't have a spike up into the 32, 35 plus percent bracket. And that's where what we do with cash flow projections and kind of modeling out what the income sources will be, everything from different growth assumptions and withdrawal rates to modeling out social security and pensions to map out for them what, what may be the most tax efficient plan. Ryan, in some future podcasts, of course, we'll, we'll go more in depth in, in some of these things as uh, as well that we have been talking about today. And even as, as you were talking earlier about, you know, the markets being choppy and, and some of the things that are that are happening that can affect us in retirement. But, yeah, these are the things that people are coming to you that you're talking about with your clients on a on a daily basis. People want to get in touch with ClearPath Financial Partners, what's the best way for them to be able to do that? Probably the best way is right through our website. It's clearpathfinancialpartners.com. And there is a, uh, there's a button right on our homepage that you can click and email us, essentially. We get it. We get that inquiry or your questions emailed to us, and then we can respond and set up a time to chat. And we're, we're happy to do that, certainly. For Ryan Kittredge, President, Financial Advisor for ClearPath Financial Partners, I'm Hank Stoltz. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advice offered through Private Advisor Group, a registered investment advisor. Private Advisor Group and ClearPath Financial Partners are separate entities from LPL Financial. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the ClearPath Financial Partners podcast.